You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Um, if you've got a Bible, open it up to 2 Peter. Um, we're going to be um, continuing in chapter 1. Um, I, I took my wife on a date last night to the Auburn, and a few of our members are in the cast of the Spitfire Grill. That's, that's a play that's going on at the Auburn Theater in St. Albans right now. And we went last night, and as I was, as I was watching the play, um, I, was, I was thinking to myself, I cannot comprehend how they memorize all of that. Um, I know that a lot of rehearsal and practice gone into it, but it was nearly a two-hour play, and, um, and, and they just memorized this giant script, you know. And, um, and I, you know, when I'm preaching a sermon, I'm up here, I've got notes on what I'm going to say. If I forget, you know, I've, I've lost my place, I can kind of, my home base is go back to my iPad and get some help. But I was thinking, man, they, they, they must really be committed to this to be able to, to memorize all that. And, um, and, and I'm kind of the opposite. I, one of my spiritual gifts is forgetting things really well. And um, my wife reminds me of this all the time, um, of things that I forget. And um, so I thank God for this godly woman that's in my life. Her name is Siri. And she, um, she keeps me in line on things that I'm supposed to be doing when I wake up and forget what I'm supposed to do that day. Um, Siri will pop up on my phone and she's like, Will, you have a meeting today. Will, you, you're supposed to accomplish this today. And, and it's because I have uh, spoken into my phone a reminder at some point or a calendar event so that I would know that I was supposed to do that. And so when Siri reminds me of something, I'm so grateful for Siri reminding me of that. But when my wife reminds me of something, I'm like, I got it. I know, right? Y'all do this. Like when people remind you of something, you get a little bit offended because you feel like, and I'm going to prove to you today, at least I hope I can prove to you that this is not the way it should be. But when someone reminds you of something, you feel as if they're challenging you or saying that you don't know something, that you don't have knowledge of something. So when my wife's like, hey, remember, I told you to do this. I need you to do that. I'm like, I know, I got it. Um, And I get offended by that. I don't know why I don't get mad at Siri when she reminds me of stuff. But but most of us, if we're honest, don't like to be reminded of things, right? Most of us don't like that. Um, And and especially when we look at, at church life, we see a lot of repetition. We see a lot of continual uh, time after time type things, a lot of patterns. That's why it's called religion. It's a, it's a routine. It's a liturgy. And, um, and Sundays are for, like what they're designed for scripturally, response and reminders. Uh, it is a response to the gospel and worship. So the reason that we come and sing and listen to the word and, and worship Jesus together is because we're responding to the gospel. The gospel, by the way, is just, if I can simply define it, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so upon that fact, we come and respond in worship. But also, our gathering on Sunday is for reminders of the gospel and liturgy. Liturgy just means order, the order of service. So the things that we do week after week that seem repetitive to you and might get monotonous to you, the reason that we do them time after time is because they're designed to be reminders. When we say a confession, we're using our lips to to say something that we already know, but we don't look at God and say, I know, I got it. Rather, we say it out loud to remind our hearts of this. The reason that we come to take communion every week is because we're visibly seeing a representation symbolically of the the body and blood of Jesus, and we're being reminded of his death on a cross for us. Um, A lot of people, when we we started doing communion weekly, they're like, well, I think that's weird. 
And they were afraid that it would not be special anymore. And, I, and I, I, I've tried to teach our church, what if the point of communion is not for you to feel special, but the point of communion is for you to be continually, on a regular basis, reminded of the death of Jesus? And we think we remember, but by our actions, we betray the fact that we don't really remember. And multiple times in Peter's letters, Peter puts the themes of hope and holiness together. And it's the title of uh, this series that we're in, Hope and Holiness. And so this passage is a good example of that. Uh, two sermon points for you today that I want you to see is that Peter gives reminders of our holiness, and then he gives reminder of our hope. Um, so let's look at the reminder of our holiness first. Listen, as a pastor, I understand my job has a great uh, tendency to become annoying, um, and, and as a pastor, I, I try to err on the side of annoying you rather than ignoring you. Um, and so just know that's the case. If, if it ever feels like I'm getting on your nerves, like it's probably on purpose. Um, but, but you know what I try not to do? I try not to ever text people and just say, hey, y'all ever have that happen? Like if you've done this to me, I'm calling you out a little bit. No, I love you, but I'm just going to confess right now. That is the biggest pet peeve of mine when people text me and just say, hey, I'm like, Get on with it. Like, don't, don't, like, because what they're doing is they're trying to make sure they have, they have me on my phone and the full attention, right? And then engage in a conversation. I'm like, no, I want you to send me everything you want to say, and then I'll respond to it. Um, but Peter, I feel like, was not the guy that would just send the, the hey or hi text message. Um, I feel like Peter was probably the most outspoken of the 12 disciples. Uh, Peter was the one that was always sticking his foot in his mouth, like saying things before he obviously didn't really think about what he was saying. Um, if, if you're unfamiliar with some of the ministry of Jesus, uh, Peter is the one that Jesus called Satan one time. So like that's Peter's claim to fame. Like he was, he was saying things that were so crazy that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where Peter finds himself. And so he's in this position where he's now an apostle. He's, he's an aged man. He's older. And he's writing a second letter. He, by the way, he's close to death, which we're going to see in a moment. Um, but he has this mindset that he is going to continually remind the church to live holy lives. He says in verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And it's almost like Peter knows, and he's anticipating that some people are going to get a little bit annoyed with how he just keeps repeating the same stuff to them over and over. But in, in uh, anticipation of that, he says, Hey, I intend to always remind you of these qualities. And I love that he includes... Uh, the, the clause where it says, though you know them and are established in the truth. Because that flies in the face of when people remind us of things and we say, I know. That, that Peter anticipates that and he, he puts this clause in there so that the readers would know that Peter knew that they knew this. Peter knew that they understood the gospel. Peter knew that they were faithful Christians. Notice he's not accusing them of not knowing the gospel or not living holy. You see, if you need reminded of the gospel, it doesn't mean that you don't know the gospel. Ask yourself this. When was the last time the gospel was personally good news for you? Because if we're not careful, the gospel becomes a message we heard when we became a Christian, and it's the message we give to people who are not Christians, but it's not actually the message that's sustainable for me day after day after day. And Peter's saying, I'm not saying you don't understand the gospel. I'm not saying you're unchristian. I'm not saying you've went off the rails, but what he is saying is you still need reminders in your life. That's a good thing. 
He says they're established in the truth, yet he strongly feels that they need continual reminders. And so what qualities is he talking about when he says, I'm going to remind you of these qualities? Well, he's referring back to verses 5 through 7. So just to kind of connect last week's sermon with this, let me reread uh, verses 5 through 7 where Peter writes, um, and I think in a summary we could say what holiness is. You want to know what it looks like to mean or looks like to live holy? Um, We see it in verses 5 through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Look at those qualities and ask yourself, do you exhibit those? And if you see areas of your life where you're failing to exhibit those, which is probably most of us, then guess what? You need reminded of the gospel. You see, the chain of progressive Christian qualities is holiness, but all of them stem from faith in the gospel. And this is why church and religion feels very repetitious, and that is a good thing. Um, I've I've seen a meme online that um, it's like a meme prompt that says, tell us what, what you do for a living in one sentence very poorly. And I've seen some pastors answer that. I tell the same story to a room full of people every week. Um, that's a good description of, of, of a pastor's job. And I feel like this was Peter's task. Um, but the reason is, is because we are so forgetful. Um, I told you I had a spiritual gift of forgetfulness. And um, I, we, we have this character in our home called Flat Stanley. Anybody in the room ever heard of Flat Stanley? So, so the people that know, know. Like y'all are like, yes, we understand Flat Stanley. All right, so Flat Stanley is a children's character. They print him out at schools. It's this terrifying thing that they make the children do. It's this flat person. His name's Stanley. And they collar Stanley, and they laminate Stanley, and they give Stanley to your children, and they say, you're supposed to take Stanley on all these amazing adventures and take pictures of Stanley everywhere he goes. Well, Amanda and I are not great at including Stanley in our family, okay? We just, he is left behind a lot, Okay. And, um, and so we actually went on a trip recently uh, to Columbus as a family with my mom and dad and my sisters and all the cousins, and we were supposed to take Stanley with us. Well, guess who forgot Stanley? Well, our staff retreat this past week, um, I was going without my family, but going back to Columbus, and Amanda's like, hey, on your trip, you should take Flat Stanley with you. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what I want. I want to be a grown man with no children around me carrying around Flat Stanley. But she's like, you should take Stanley like he's a real boy. You should take Stanley and take some pictures of him in Columbus. And I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And I'm like, can you put him by the door so I don't forget Stanley? She's like, yeah, I got it. So she puts him right by our door. I'm not kidding. I go in the bedroom, kiss my wife by, and I'm getting ready to leave for staff retreat. It is five Will Basham steps from the bedroom to the door. And I, she says, don't forget Flat Stanley. And I'm like, I know, honey. And I take those five steps and I walk right by Stanley and right out the door, right? <laughs> He got left behind again. And, and so now I'm Photoshopping, right? Now I have to Photoshop Flat Stanley into lots of pictures. So this, one's, this serves as being live streamed, so hopefully nobody from the school sees this. But um, <laughs> our forgetfulness is human. It is natural in all of us to forget. And forgetfulness does not mean a lack of knowledge. Did I know Stanley needed to go to Columbus? Yes. Did I know the assignment that Judah had with Flat Stanley? Yes. 
Like I, I was knowledgeable of all those things. I was just forgetful in the application of them. And so sometimes as Christians, if we have a knowledge of the gospel and a knowledge of the Bible, we think that's enough. Forgetting the fact that we are spiritually forgetful in the application of all of those virtues. And this is why we need the religion that God has given us and the repetition that God has given us and the liturgy that God has given us so that we continually find ourselves being reminded of the doctrines of grace so that we can apply them to our lives. This is why in the Old Testament you see sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice in the law. Over and over and over again, they're doing the same things. You ever try to read the Bible in a year and you get through the Old Testament and you're like, this is so repetitious, I can't even finish it. It's because God's continually reminding his people things that he knows they will forget. But then Jesus didn't die over and over and over again like the sacrifices in the temple. Jesus died once. And so Jesus died for our sins once, but we need to tell ourselves about that every day. We tell others about that. So let's keep reading in verse 13. Peter says, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So he says, I'm, I'm probably going to be passing away soon and the rest of my days I'm going to spend spurring others on to holiness. He's writing this around AD 68. He's not super old at this time, but he is an older gentleman. And perhaps the circumstances around him as he's writing this led him to believe that his execution was coming soon. Jesus actually gave some prophetic detail about his death after restoring him. So after Jesus raises from the dead, remember Peter had denied Jesus three times. After the resurrection, Jesus um, hangs out on the shoreline with his disciples and has breakfast with them. And after that, he asks Peter three times if he loves him, thereby spiritually and, and symbolically restoring him back from the denials that he had issued. And after that, Jesus says this in John 21. Let me read this to you. It says, truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, and when, uh, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Now, I've heard that interpreted as like, when you get old, you're going to end up in a nursing home, and they're going to tell you what to do. And, and that might be true of life practically, but I don't think that's what Jesus is telling Peter. Verse 19 tells us, the explanation of it, if it's unclear. And it is a little bit unclear. But verse 19 says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So it's not talking about just age in general. It's saying, he's telling Peter how he's going to die. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And follow him, Peter did. So much so that tradition says that Peter was crucified just like his Lord Jesus was crucified. Um, actually, the term stretch out your hands that, that Jesus says, he says, when you're old, you're going to have your hands stretched out. It's probably a reference to how Peter died uh, th- by crucifixion. And tradition also holds that Peter viewed the death of Jesus so highly that when he found out that he was to be crucified, he requested to be crucified upside down because he saw himself unworthy to die the same way that Jesus did. And in Peter's second letter, As he's approaching the end of his life, approaching that horrific execution, he's saying, with all the breath I have left, every day until my dying day, I will remind the church to live and walk in holiness. In verse 15, he says, I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. 
Peter was writing these things down so that they could recall them. He was like, George Strait, baby, write this down. Take a little note to remind you in case you didn't know. That's a wonderful song if y'all aren't catching on to that, so look that up. But Peter covers reminders of hope and holiness for all of life. In verse 12, he says, you've been established in the truth. He acknowledges their past. In verse 13, he talks about the present, saying, it's right for me right now to stir you up and remind you of these things. And in verse 15, he says, after my departure, after I have died, you're going to be able to recall my message. So I'll even remind you of these things after I'm dead and gone. He covers past, present, and future. He says, in the past, in the present now, and forever, the rest of your life, you are to live a life filled with gospel reminders. You know what that means for you, church? That means that you go to church every week religiously. It's not a Saturday night conversation or a Sunday morning conversation. We're going to go to church this week. No, it's assumed that we're going to continue in the rhythm that the Bible gives us, that we're going to read our Bibles. We're going to pray before meals. We're going to pray when we get up. We're going to pray before we go to bed at night. We're going to put scripture on our phones. We're going to repent to one another. We're going to go into nature and see creation. We're going to talk about it and talk about our creator. We're going to Teach our kids from the Bible. We're going to join small groups, read devotions, listen to theology podcasts, read Christian books, and listen to Christian music because those are all gospel reminders. These things are good for you, and they're glorifying to God, and they should be implemented into your life. But they're not exclusive things in your life. Think about exclusivity versus inclusivity because we would err if we read about holiness in the Bible and read the reminders that Peter has given and and, and we would be wrong to say Peter's calling us to exclusivity, meaning that um, we are exclusively doing gospel reminders, exclusively listening to Christian music, all other music's bad, exclusively reading Christian books, all other books are bad, exclusively watching Christian entertainment or whatever, everything else is bad. That's legalism. That's not helpful for the mission of God. It's not helpful for you either. But rather, the Bible calls you to holiness in an inclusive way that you infuse holiness into the everyday walk of your life. I mean, that when you go to the baseball field, you don't look for just like Christian baseball. Like you, you go play baseball, but Jesus goes with you to the baseball field and you infuse the gospel into it. And when your kid strikes out, you talk about failure in a gospel-centered way and what the gospel speaks to about the principle of failure. That when you see good art, secular art, you see that it's an image of the creator, that you take everything, even secular things, and you infuse holiness and the gospel into it and let it be a reminder to you in all ways without being legalistic. You see, holiness sets you apart. It doesn't separate you. It doesn't take you out of the world. It puts you in the world with a renewed mind to be different. And so it doesn't pull us out of secularism. It means that we're in it, but not of it. And since we're in it, we have to remind ourselves often. We remind ourselves of holiness. The second thing in the passage, we're reminded of our hope. The occasion of Peter's second letter seems to be um, false teaching, an influence of false teaching um, in the church of the first century. Specifically, we know that false teachers were denying the second coming, a very important doctrine. Uh, We know this from later in the letter, which I'll preach at a later time, but 2 Peter 3, 4 says, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? Meaning they were saying, Jesus isn't really coming back. There's no, there's no second coming. They said, forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so Peter's reaffirming and reminding them that our hope is in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And because of that, we can trust 
his return as well, that he is coming again. The gospel and the promise of Jesus' return. And Peter reminds them of the source of this hope. It was from the testimony of the apostles and the testimony of Scripture. The testimony of the apostles he covers in verses 16 through 18. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. He says that he saw the power and coming of Jesus. Greek words are dunamis and parousia. Dunamis is where we get our word dynamite from, explosive power, and parousia just literally means coming. And, and it's interesting to me that to offer a rebuttal to the, to the heretics who were saying that Jesus wasn't coming back, Peter offers a story, a personal experience, something that he had an eyewitness account of. And he doesn't go to the resurrection, although he had an eyewitness account of the resurrection. Instead of going to the resurrection, because the, the critics could say, well, that's just a ghost story, that was a spirit or whatever, he doesn't, prove, uh, he doesn't seek to prove the resurrection, rather he seeks to prove Jesus' deity. And the transfiguration, what it became known as, the transfiguration where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain is exactly what Jesus was doing as he was revealing or showing his deity, his power and his coming with an eschatological tent to it as well. He's showing that to Peter, James, and John on this holy mountain. Let me read to you this account. And by the way, if you're interested in this, I won't go into as much detail as I could. Pastor James preached a great sermon on this. If you want to go back and listen, uh, Mark chapter 9 um, is what you can find on our mobile app. And Pastor Jabes preached this and did a great job at it. I re-listened to it this week. But Mark 9, 2 through 8, um, let me just read as a review. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. It means changed. It means radiant. He was revealing his deity. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Like lab vinyl and everybody bleaching clothes to be fashionable got nothing on Jesus' bleach. I don't know, like Mr. Clean or Clorox or what, but it says no one on earth could match this radiance. It's just pervasive, radiant glory. And verse 4 says, There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Another proof of Peter putting his foot in his mouth. He just says whatever he's thinking. There's no filter with Peter. And verse 7, it says, A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And so Jesus here is speaking with Moses and Elijah, representing the law and the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, representing Scripture itself, showing us that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the fulfillment, fulfillment of the promise of all of Scripture. Let me show you this briefly in Malachi chapter 4, the very end of the Old Testament, the last verses of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses. Okay, remember Moses. The statutes and the rules that I commanded to him at Horeb for all Israel. So that's Moses. The next verse says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, there's Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the ending of the Old Testament told them, look for Moses and Elijah. And here we see Jesus hanging out with Moses and Elijah on a mountain, um, revealing his glory to a few apostles. 
The final prophecy of the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament through John the Baptist, Jesus explains in that chapter, and through Jesus in the transfiguration. This is the prophetic word that Peter is explaining in 2 Peter 1.19 when he says, we have the prophetic word fully confirmed. He's saying, I've seen this with my own eyes, but I want to let you know that beyond my lifespan, just beyond what I've seen, don't just take my word for it. Look at the testimony of God's word throughout history. That hundreds of years between these authors, from Isaiah, Zechariah, other prophets that Jesus fulfilled their prophecies, that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of the Old Testament, and he explained how all of the Bible was ultimately about him. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Remember that term, morning star. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. He's saying, this is not man's opinions. This isn't a story that I made up. It's not something that anyone else conjured up. He is saying, you are being reminded of your hope that's in God and God alone. God's sovereign word has revealed this to us. The scriptures have testified of this. And he says, you would do well to pay attention to the Bible. Some of y'all need to hear that. You would do well to pay attention to the Bible. You go, you, you go the whole week, like the only scripture you hear is when the preacher reads it at church on Sunday. You would do well to pay attention to the Bible. Peter refers to the Bible as a lamp shining in a dark place. If we, if we had the power go out in here, I think the exit lights have batteries, so I think they would stay on and have little emergency lights. But let's pretend we don't have those. There's no windows in this glorious, uh, fancy sanctuary. And so if it was pitch black in here, what I would imagine is eventually we'd start seeing cell phone lights pop up around the room. But let's imagine none of y'all have a cell phone except me. And so it's pitch black in here, and I turn on that little cell phone light, in a room that's pitch black, your eyes will instinctively and immediately be drawn to that light. It is in your biological anatomy that that is going to be the reaction of your eyes to be drawn to that light. This is the illustration that Peter is using to describe the Bible. He's saying you're in a dark, depraved world. Let God's revealed word be your guide. Pay attention to it. Psalm 119, 105 tells us this. We sing this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And as Peter looks forward to the parousia, the coming of Jesus, he calls it the dawning of day and the rise of the morning star. The ending of night and the beginning of an endless day. I read to you the end of the Old Testament. Let me Read to you the end of the New Testament as well. In Revelation 22, 7, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, and what's he call himself? The bright morning star. So until the morning star rises, we keep the lamp, the scriptures, in front of us to guide our path, and we pay close attention to them. Peter says in verse 21, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
What Peter's describing is the inspiration of the Word of God. That, that God in His sovereignty used uh, the context and the history and the, even the styles and the personalities of the authors of Scripture. That's why it's important for us to understand who Peter is as he writes this letter and what's going on at that time. But Peter makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. He alone is the author. He alone oversaw the project of inerrancy to make sure there was no error in Scripture in its original languages. And so we see that, and we have it confirmed throughout generations, and so we make the Bible our guiding light. When I was a kid, my parents took me to Tennessee, and we went in a cave, and I remember it very well. It was, it was just amazing um, adventure to me. And we, we were in this cave, and they were telling us, the, the tour guide in the cave was telling us about um, how they used to explore caves in, in times before things like electricity. And they would have lamps that they would carry. And as they would walk through the caves, I mean, it's dangerous to walk through a cave. There's literally no light whatsoever. And, and they would take these lamps, and they didn't have like a, a way to project the light, like a, like a flashlight, if you will. But instead, they just had these lamps, and they would... They would hold them as high as they could because the higher they would hold the lamp, the more it would light up a room in a cave, the more it would light up their path. The radius of the light would be larger the higher they held the lamp. But y'all know this to be true, right? Like the longer you hold your arm up, the more tired you get. Like when I pray too long over new members. Y'all got your hands up, you, know, like you start to droop a little bit, right? Then you, you do the hand switch during the prayer. So these cave explorers, they would switch hands, you know, and they would try to... But they would get weak, and before long, they would be continuing to explore, but the, the lamp would kind of droop down at their side and only light a small radius around us. Listen to me. It is clear to me, week after week, that we come in here, and our arms are spiritually tired. And I pray that we've let God's Word guide us through the week, but God's given us a timeline and a clear rhythm that we can make it about six or seven days before our spiritual arms start to droop, and we need to be strengthened. One of the most common Greek words Peter uses in his letter is strengthen. And so Peter is giving reminders and he's saying, I don't care if you get tired of it. I don't care if it's annoying to you. I don't care if it feels monotonous or repetitious. I'm reminding you of these things to strengthen you because you need to hold God's word up and you need strength to do that. And so some of y'all come in here with your arms drooping. You've sinned through the week. You've been sinned against through the week. You've been grieving through the week. Some of y'all come in here and you feel like you're fine or you've convinced yourself you're fine, but you're really not. You're just as jacked up as the rest of us. We come in here with droopy arms and hanging heads, needing to be reminded of the gospel. And if you feel like you're getting tired of hearing this repeated story, that's evidence that you need to hear it again. That's evidence that you need to be reminded all the more because it's a story that we won't get tired of and we'll sing about it for eternity. It's the story of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that makes everything in my life make sense. And so that's what we cling to. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.